Welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. My name is Marjorie Frymouth, and thank you for joining us today. How are you all doing? I hope you're doing well. I hope there's some safe travel plans in your future. I am currently... I'm currently in the not-so-fun part of traveling and planning when you just can't figure out how to make it work, and you know that you will. I know that I will. You know, I've always been successful in the past in being creative or figuring out different places to go if what I originally planned doesn't seem like it's feasible, but... I'm trying to figure out how to get back to Colorado after my family road trip to Maine. Um, I have some friends that I want to see on the East Coast, and I just want to see as much of the country as I can while still being safe with regards to the pandemic and all of that. So a while back, I bought myself like an Amtrak pass that's good for six different train tickets, so I have that. And I'm just trying to figure out where I want to go and where I can stay and keep everything as economical as possible and, you know, not like shell out for hotels every single night that I'm on the road. So I've been looking into different options with regards to like house sitting and pet sitting and things like that. And it's not really working out as easily as I'd hoped it would. Um, So I'm a little bit frustrated by that right now. And that is just your reminder that as much as I am always pro travel and I, you know, I want people to get out and see their country and see the world and all of that. Sometimes it's not easy and it's not easy for for many different ways, but this is just one of them, um, the headaches that can occur. But frustrations and headaches can occur in any area of life, no matter what you're doing. So it's certainly not something that's going to dissuade me or, you know, make me completely change my plans or scrap my plans. I will persevere and power through and I'm sure that I will find an option uh, because, you know what, I always have in the past. So I'm sure I will this time also. And by the time you're listening to this, I will already be in the midst of this travel that I'm planning for right now. So clearly it's all worked out by this point. So that's a good reminder. Today we are talking about things I wish I'd known before I moved abroad. And this is going to be part of a much longer conversation because I started listing things off and I got up to like 25 and I was like, okay, I can't talk about all of these in one episode. So this will be several parts. And I also want to do a slightly different one about things I wish I'd known before I started traveling in general. But this one is about living in another country. So these are kind of all over the map from like the really practical to sort of the philosophical and personal and and growth and all of that stuff. Um, And there are no particular order and no particular category. I just chopped the list off after 10 and we will talk about all of the others in another episode. Um, All right. So just jumping in right now, the first, this is the very first thing that came to mind when I thought, what uh, do I wish that I'd known before I moved? The very first thing that popped into my mind was pack less. <laughs> the first time I moved to another country was Vienna for study abroad, and I think my suitcase weighed 70 pounds. Um Yes, I definitely broke the 50-pound limit. I paid for the extra heavy, and I brought so much stuff that I did not need. It was just absolutely ridiculous. So 
try to pack as light as possible. You can buy lots of things in the other country and also just this is something I'm trying to learn more in general in my life. I don't want to have so much stuff. Uh, this is especially because I don't have a house or an apartment of my own right now. But just in general, I don't want to have so much stuff. You know, I'd like to think that I can get by with the bare minimum of clothes that I absolutely need and things that I wear on a regular basis. Because I know this is true for me and I'm sure this is true for everyone else. I just have so much stuff in my closet and in my drawers that I think are cool, but I never actually wear them. So I want to like really be like pared down, slimmed down in terms of the number of clothes that I have and just random accessories and other things. You know, all that stuff that accumulates in a drawer, like your desk drawer. And it's just like, where did all of this come from? And I have carted that stuff from country to country to country using barely any of it, looking at barely any of it. So only bring the essentials. Try not to have a 70-pound suitcase, especially because accessibility is not the case in much of the world. So many times I have lived in apartments that do not have... I've never actually lived in an apartment with an elevator. Every time I've lived on an upper floor, it has always been stairs. In Vienna, I was living on the sixth floor. That was not fun, especially when you went down all six flights of stairs, got outside, realized it was raining and you did not have your umbrella and had to go back up. In the Czech Republic, I was on, I think, the third floor. In Taiwan, I was on the fourth floor. I've never had an elevator. You will have to carry your suitcase up, most likely, depending on where you go. So really, really do yourself a favor and try to bring as little as possible. Also, if you have several layovers or if you have several stops to your trip, trying to deal with multiple suitcases or a 70-pound suitcase while you're in the airport or traveling on the road is really, really not fun. So this, there is a reason why this is the first thing that popped into my head. Learn from my mistakes. Do not bring the 70-pound suitcase. Number two. Oh, I love this one. This is something that has occurred so many different times. Going to the grocery store in a new country for the first time is one of the most intimidating things in the world, at least for me. I would love to hear other people's experience with this. Every single time I've moved, I remember in Vienna for the very first time I was living in another country, but it happened again in the Czech Republic and again in Taiwan. Grocery stores are the most overwhelming places you will encounter in another country. And you don't realize how comfortable you are in your own culture and in your own country. A grocery store is like, whatever, it's just a grocery store. You go, you you know where most things are, you pick up your food. Um, it's really not a big deal or something that you would usually think twice about until you're confronted with food that you're unfamiliar with, a layout that you're completely unfamiliar with, labels that you cannot read, and you don't know the process. You know, are you supposed to weigh your fruit and weigh your vegetables yourself, or can you just put them in a bag and bring them to the checkout? There's just so many unfamiliar variables, and you'll find yourself wandering around you know, for an hour in this grocery store trying to figure out, like, what can I possibly eat? What are the staples that I can get that will get me through the next few days? And I have eaten the most random food because it was the only thing that I 
could find and latch on to that like I really knew what it was and, you know, solidified. I think in Vienna, the first time I made myself a sandwich of bread and sliced cheese and I think like green peppers or something because... (laughs) I don't know why. It was one of the few like vegetables or produce that I saw and I could just grab. Um, in Taiwan, I remember making a lot of curry because they had curry packets and I was like, okay, I know curry packets. I know rice. I can do this. So be kind to yourself in the grocery store. Try to think of just like the staples that you can get. I mean, for me, like yogurt is always a huge one. Most countries have yogurt, um, you know, fruits, vegetables, the stuff that you might recognize. But again, in a totally other country, you might not recognize a lot of the produce. So be nice to yourself. Try to think simply. Don't go in wanting to make like a huge feast your first week there because that's not going to happen. Try to really stick to the basics. Um, Even if you, you know, you dive into the processed food, get yourself like a pack of chips and Oreos. I think Oh my gosh, this is all coming back to me. Yeah, I think I ate a carton of ice cream my first week in Taiwan as well. (laughs) I think I got myself a carton of mango ice cream. I survived on that and dried mango. Um, And then this one stall, which, you know, not grocery stores that we're talking about, but this one street food stall near my apartment that had um, pan fried dumplings. I think that's exclusively what I ate the first week in Taiwan. So it's going to be a crazy, overwhelming experience. Be nice to yourself. Stick to the basics. Don't overthink it. And you can wander around as much as you need to. But also, if you find yourself just like going around and around and around for an hour, which I'm pretty sure I've done before, you know, just get out of there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you never would think that grocery stores would be one of the biggest hurdles in a new place. But to me, they absolutely are. So on that note, number three, the third thing I wish that I had known, you will figure it out. You can figure it out. You are wildly capable, so much more capable than you know. And that's something that I have really learned through all of these experiences that I've had in other countries, living in other places. You can figure it out and you will figure it out, whether it is the grocery store, whether it is the visa process, you know, whatever you're confronted with, um... It's a hurdle and you will get through it. And not to get super philosophical or anything, but I think that's the case for life as well. (laughs) It's true. But you just, you do encounter those hurdles or those unfamiliar hurdles more frequently in another culture. So it's a good reminder that you have all of the tools that you need. You also have resources and contacts who can help you, whether they are your employer or anyone you know in that country or your friends and family back home or the internet. The internet is a miraculous place for helping us sort through some of these uh, tangles and challenges and, and hurdles that you can encounter. So you can figure it out and you will figure it out. And also, sort of on that point, I said these are not in any particular order and they're not, but they seem to be sort of flowing together. Number four you can change it up at any point. Nothing is set in stone. So for me, a a good example of this is apartments. I found an apartment the first time I went to Taiwan before I moved. I wanted to be able to just go into a place, like have a place already set, not have to stay in a hotel or a hostel or anything, which I think there is some value to that, but it's also incredibly hard to find an apartment when you're not 
in that country or in that city, especially when it's a totally unfamiliar culture. You know, I could probably do it now if I was going back to Taiwan. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going back to Taiwan anytime soon. I, I just laugh because I've done that so many times. Um, but yeah, I could probably find an apartment in Taiwan now. Uh, not being there and still know roughly what I was getting, the locations in the city, what I would expect to pay for price, because all of that is very familiar to me now. But it's really hard to do when you have no context for that. So I found this apartment, uh, you know, a room in a shared apartment, and I, you know, paid for it ahead of time, all of that. I showed up and was like, oh my gosh, I cannot stay here. Um, in retrospect, again, knowing what I know now, it was actually a totally fine apartment, but I had a different standard, I guess you could say. Not that apartments in Taiwan are like low standard, but just what is the norm there is very different from what is the norm in Europe and America where I'd lived previously. So I show up in this apartment and everything is just not what I expected. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I have to move. I can't live here. And so I did. You know, within a week, I was in a different apartment and I stayed there for the whole year. It was wonderful. So any decision that you make, and I'm sure that there are some caveats here, but I'm not going to get into them. But generally, any decision that you make, you can change your mind. You can get out of it. You can find a different option. Again, going back to number three, you are wildly capable. You can figure it out. And again, this is the case in life too. And this is what I want to sort of reiterate. This is the whole point of doing this podcast is you can change it up at any time. You can just go out your door and find a totally different adventure. So whether it's an apartment that you're living in or a city that you're living in or the job that you have in this new country, you can always change it up. Don't think that anything is like set in stone or something that you have to endure when it's miserable. You can figure out a way to change it. Number five. Okay, this one is a little bit different. This doesn't flow quite as nicely as the others, but I do like it. Don't be afraid of foreign health care. This is something that I definitely experienced the first few times I lived in other countries, just sort of that, you know, it's doctors and hospitals, they're all really unfamiliar in another country, but that doesn't mean they're not good. That doesn't mean they're not just as high quality as what you're familiar with, especially if you're an American. Um, I can, you know, personally vouch for other healthcare systems around the world that the quality of care is equally as good as what I receive in America. Don't even get me started on the health insurance thing because I can almost guarantee that your health insurance or your bill from the hospital is going to be far less than what you would get in America. But we're not talking about that right now. For more information on that, go see one of the first episodes on socialized medicine that I did with another American expat living in Taiwan. Uh, we're not talking about that right now. So yes, don't be afraid. Just because you're in another country, things might be a little bit different. There might be some different customs in terms of how you interact with healthcare professionals or how you get your prescriptions, things like that. And then, of course, there are different kinds of medicine all around the world. So obviously, Chinese medicine was very prevalent in Taiwan, although I never really delved into that myself. So of course, there are differences, but that doesn't mean that things aren't just as good or just as effective as the country that you are from. So do not be afraid of healthcare systems in other countries. They will take very good care of you 
generally. I'm sure people are going to be writing in with some stories, but um, you know things can happen anywhere. So I think healthcare is not something that you need to be worried about or be afraid about overall. Okay, number six. Now, number six does go along with number five with the healthcare. Number six is advocate for yourself. And this is in everything, you know, in healthcare, in jobs, doing your taxes, setting up a bank account in another country. You have to be comfortable going with the flow. It's kind of a balance. Like, in terms of banking or taxes, like, I had no idea what was going on. I don't even understand those things in America. So I really had to trust the people that I was dealing with and that they were going to guide me in the right direction. But at the same time, if things don't make sense to you, number one, ask, because often things are not explained, again, in general, but also in other countries. And this is definitely the case with healthcare in Taiwan. The doctors don't explain things to you. There's this culture of you go in, you tell them what's wrong, they prescribe you medicine and you take it. There's no like, okay, well, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I think the issue is. Um, Here's why I'm prescribing these medicines. So if you want to know, you really, really have to ask. And again, that's the case with everything. If you think that someone is setting you up incorrectly, again, in banking or whatever, really, really make sure that you speak up and advocate for yourself because it's so easy for things to get lost in the shuffle of foreign languages and different cultures. So really make sure that you know what's going on and that you are guiding things in the right direction. And it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable just in life in general, I think, especially for women, you know, standing up and saying like, hey, I don't think this is right. Um, but I've I've gotten very, very comfortable doing that. And it is awkward and people can be put off by it. But I would so much rather be in a slightly awkward situation and have things done correctly than have to go back and, you know, redo a process or get back into some bureaucracy or redo paperwork that wasn't correct or whatever it may be, and especially not to always go back to this, but especially with doctors and with healthcare, um, I got very, very comfortable just throwing my my privacy to the wind and being like, hey, this is what's wrong with me because I didn't want there to be any confusion in terms of language barriers or cultural barriers. So not beating around the bush at all, just getting right to the point of like, these are my symptoms what else do you want to know? What else can I tell you? I'm going to be very upfront and open about absolutely everything. Um, And I, you know, I do that in all of the other areas, topics or things when I travel. It's, you know, I try to be just very upfront and not circumspect or hope that people will intuit what I mean or, you know, understand what I need. You need to be right to the point, straight to the point, open, honest, all that stuff, and and just really speak up, advocate for yourself. Number seven, totally different topic, the time difference. The time difference is incredibly frustrating. And in fact, I've actually found that a larger time difference can be a little bit easier to deal with than like a six or seven hour time difference. Um, when I've lived in Europe and I'm about six or seven hours, five, six, seven hours ahead of family and friends back in the States, that's really frustrating to deal with because in the morning you're awake and they're still asleep. Then in the afternoon you're probably working. Then in the evening when you have time, they're probably working. So that was a real challenge to deal with. Being in Taiwan, that's usually 12 or 13 hour difference um, for me with, with where my family and friends live in the States. And that one almost matches up perfectly with mornings and evenings. So 
when it's your morning, it's their evening. When it's your evening, it's their morning. And at least you have free time at the same time, usually, even though the times of day are wildly different. But just in general, there will be a time difference probably, and it is very annoying to deal with. Um, I don't really have any tips or tricks for <laughs> for dealing with that. It's just sort of something you have to plan and factor in if you need to talk to someone um, at a specific time or on a specific day. Just, you know, remember that time difference. And it also crops up in really funny ways. Like I got used to all of the podcasts that I subscribe to releasing in the evening. Of course, they don't really release in the evening. They release in the morning of the day that they come out on. But because I was in Taiwan, for me, it was always in the evening. So it was like, oh, hey, I'm getting ready for bed. I'm going to download all these podcasts that just came out. Um, and then being in the States now, it's like, oh, no, they're they're out in the morning. So that's an incredibly minor, not important, not significant thing, but it does really crop up in these funny ways that you never would have thought of before. And number eight is another frustrating one, far more frustrating than the time difference. Transferring money overseas is a nightmare. And we're going to do a whole episode on this in the future, all the different platforms you can use and ways that you can send money to yourself, to other people, because it's a huge thing and it is so frustrating. And you really would have thought we would be past this by now in the 21st century. You know, so much of life is just instantaneous and online and everything. And sending money within the states or within a single country is no problem. I mean, I know that there's there's better platforms and other platforms now, but I'm still a huge fan of like Venmo and PayPal and all that stuff. It's just so easy. But as soon as you factor in another country or a different currency or a different bank account, it's just this huge headache that there is not one easy answer for. Um, I've tried to use PayPal before, but it's really hard connecting a bank account in a foreign country and then trying to make sure that there was a link with my U.S. PayPal or my U.S. bank account. And this is not your informative podcast. So if you're like, Marjorie, you really should have provided some more details right now. I'm just speaking generally. <laughs> this is something to prepare yourself for. I'll give you all the information in a later episode. Um, in terms of like wiring money, I know people who've wired money to themselves in the States. Um, but that I've learned is also not a really great solution because it turns out, um, talking to some banks in the U.S., it's actually pretty easy for wire transfers to go astray. And if they do go astray, they're very hard to track and it's very hard to recover your money, which again, seems odd. It seems like we should be past that at this point. So I have had friends in Taiwan who wired themselves money in the States and it did work. They said it was really easy, really fast. But when I needed to do it, so at the end of my time in Taiwan, which has now happened three times, um, I've been left with, you know, a sum of money in my Taiwanese bank account that I need to get back to the States. And every time I think, okay, I'll just wire it. It'll be really easy. And then I go to the bank and I find out what form I have to fill out. And they need several codes. One of them is called the SWIFT code, which is an international um, code for banks. Now, my bank in America is very small and local, so they don't actually have a SWIFT code. They use an intermediary bank. And I go to the bank in Taiwan and try to explain this to them, and they are very confused as to why any bank would not have a SWIFT code because, you know, they're in Taiwan, this big metropolis. Um, 
And I say, well, my bank doesn't have it because it's very small, but it goes through this intermediary bank that does have a SWIFT code. But as soon as you start adding in these multiple steps, it gets more and more likely that it might not work. And because I'm leaving the country, you know, I want to close my bank account at the very last Uh, you know, second possible that I'm in the country so I can keep using it. Um, If anything did go wrong, trying to deal with it in, you know, deal with the bank in Taiwan while being overseas would be almost impossible. Um, So what I've ended up doing is carrying back large sums of money in cash, which I don't necessarily recommend. That seems like uh, not a great plan, but I've done that on several occasions and knock on wood, I've never had any problems. Um, but that's really what I've resorted to just because transferring money internationally is so complicated and there's no easy solution for it. So I just take all of my money out of my bank account in US dollars and bring it back in cash and hope that my bank in America will not question as to why I have this much money in cash. Um, Again, I will give you more information and more details and uh, hopefully have some better recommendations at that point, but I have not, uh, not really found a great solution yet. All right, so after that real practical frustration, the last two that I have for you, two things that I wish I'd known before moving abroad are a little bit more of like the hippy-dippy introspective things. Number nine, your feelings towards your home country will shift. Now, as many Americans, I'm sure, can attest, uh, it's very easy to be in America, to be an American, live in America and dislike things about your country, things that the country is doing, the government, all that stuff. Um, I know that is not unique to like having a different perspective from living abroad. But actually, I often find myself becoming more patriotic when I live in another country. And that's definitely like a homesickness factor kicking in for sure. Uh, For example, I don't listen to country music when I'm in America, but when I'm overseas, I do enjoy some crappy pop country every once in a while. But that does happen. That is real. You find yourself becoming more or becoming very excited when you meet other people from your country or, oh my gosh, when you find like a food or like a snack food or a brand or something that you had back home, you just get so overwhelmed with positive feelings about your country and so excited that you found it and you have that connection now. And that's not something that I ever experienced in the States, really. That is solely like living in another country. You definitely can become more patriotic at times, for sure. On the flip side, you might find yourself having to uh, not only deal with other people's and other countries' reactions to your own country, which is huge as an American because America is so dominant (laughs) around the world, um, and everyone knows to some degree what's going on in in the U.S., so I would often find myself just confronted with uh, questions about why is the U.S. doing this, or like what the heck is going on with XYZ, whether it's, you know, now COVID response or things like that. And I'm just like, I, I can't explain it. I, I don't understand it either. You know, I don't have any answers for you. There's there's no rhyme or reason to this. Just because I'm an American doesn't mean that it makes sense to me. Um, or, you know, things that are genuinely harmful or problematic about your country. You know, people would 
ask me about about Trump or how how can people possibly support Trump or how can he be, you know, banning this culture or this religion or whatever is happening or, you know, any of the the horrible, atrocious shootings that have happened. You know, people come to you about this and I, I guess I'm lucky in that I don't think I've ever been blamed. I know other people in other countries have. Um, they've, you know, gotten horrible reactions for being a representative of their country. And I'm incredibly lucky that no one has ever come to me and, you know, lashed out at me for being an American um, and for the things that America does. But I would definitely get those reactions of why is this happening? Why is your country doing this? Um, and I, you know, that's hard because I feel like I should be able to explain it. I should be able to say, well, let me tell you in America, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I can't because a lot of the things I think are atrocious either and don't make sense to me either. So it does go both ways. I do, I want to devote more to this in the future, um, what it means to be a representative of your country abroad. But just in general, something that you might not expect uh, when moving to another country is that your feelings toward your home country will shift in both directions. Like I said, positive and negative, but that is definitely something um, to anticipate, something that might be a little bit unexpected. And number 10... This is something that I am dealing with right now. When you return to your home country, you might feel like a foreigner in your home. And this is something that I am still trying to process. Um, I found that I'm a little bit uncomfortable in public to some degree, going, going shopping, going to grocery stores, going out and about. And I couldn't figure out why that was. I thought maybe it's because I'm in a very small town and... A lot of people here know my family, know my parents, and so there was sort of that level of like, oh, well, people might already know who I am, um, and I don't know them, and there's some discomfort there. But I realized I don't think that's actually what it is. I think it's genuinely I'm uncomfortable in America right now because of reverse culture shock, which we already talked about in the in the previous episode. But I I don't have an excuse for not understanding how things work. Whereas when I'm in another country, even in Taiwan, where I lived for several years, it's easy to have an excuse for doing something wrong or not understanding the process or the culture in any situation, whether it's like at a restaurant or at a hospital, at the doctor's office or whatever you're doing. If you don't know what to do, it's easy to say like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a foreigner. Like, I'm not from here. I don't, I didn't know what to expect. In America, I don't have that excuse, but I have just as much or just as many things that are unfamiliar here. Um, for example, I think we talked about this in the reverse culture shock episode, paying for things. Now everyone uses the square and the iPad and the insert in your card and, you know, you get the receipt on the screen and the tip and all of that. And that's such a minor thing. Um, but things like that where I just don't know what to do, I don't know what the expected process is, but I should because I am an American. And that has made me a little bit uncomfortable or it's made me, like I said, feel like a foreigner in my own country. Um, And that is not something, even knowing about reverse culture shock and all of that, I don't think that's really something that I anticipated. Uh, Certainly not this time coming back. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe I just forgot about it. (laughs) Um, 
But that has been something that I've been trying to figure out and trying to process for the past couple weeks. So there we have it. The first 10 things that I wish I'd known before I moved abroad. Again, I already have about 12 more to go, and I'm sure I will keep adding to the list. So this is a topic that we will definitely revisit in the future. I hope it's been entertaining. I hope it's given you a few ideas for things to anticipate if you are planning a move abroad. And for anyone who has lived in another country, I would absolutely love to hear your take on this as well. What are things that you wish you'd known before you started this whole process or things that you figured out as you went uh, that you didn't anticipate beforehand, please let me know. I would love to share those stories. You can send those to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at goingoutyourdoor and on Twitter at goingoutyour. And I will talk to you next time on Going Out Your Door. <music>